Thank you, Sergio. Good morning, church. Before we uh, get into the Word of God, let's uh, look to the Lord for strength and help this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to sit under your Word this morning. We pray that our minds would be clear to understand, our hearts prepared to be convicted and changed by your Word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me this morning, that it would not be my words, but your words for your people and for those who have yet to come to know Jesus as Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, someone asked you, how do you know that you are right with God? How do you know that you have a relationship with God? How do you know that you will go to heaven and spend eternity with God? How would you answer that question? These questions are uh, one and the same, and they're good and right questions. Uh, Every single human being should be able to answer the question, how do I know if I am right with God? And as we look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, we will have a definitive answer from Scripture on how we know if we have a right standing with God. Now, if you're visiting with us today or if you've been away for a few weeks, uh, as a church, we have been studying the book of Galatians. And for the sake of getting us all on the same page this morning, uh, I'm going to do a very quick recap of what the book is about Uh, where we've been the past few weeks, and where we are going this morning. Uh, The book of Galatians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in the Galatian area, which is around modern-day Turkey. Uh, This is an area that Paul had visited on his first missionary journey. And while he was there, he preached the gospel, and people came to Christ, and uh, Paul started a few churches. And Paul clearly taught that to be right with God, uh, to have a relationship with God, to obtain eternal salvation, that it was through uh, faith in Jesus Christ alone, nothing else, just Jesus. And after a while, Paul left the Galatian area, and he went off to other cities and other areas to preach the gospel. And after Paul left, uh, certain false teachers uh, called Judaizers came into these new baby church plants in Galatia, and started to tell a different message, something that was different, uh, uh, preaching something that was different than what Paul was preaching. And we've talked about this over the last several weeks, that these false teachers came into these churches, um, and with these new baby Christians, and he told them, listen, don't believe everything that Paul is saying. Look, you can't possibly be right with God and obtain salvation with just Jesus. They taught, no, 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 listen, you need faith in Jesus plus something else, right? It was Jesus plus circumcision. It was Jesus plus follow a certain dietary law. Jesus plus keep all of the Mosaic law and the ceremonies. It can't just be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus plus something. So Paul, catching wind of what was going on, he writes a letter uh, to these Galatian churches, to these uh, new Christians who he really deeply loves. And he writes to them to warn them about these false teachers, and more importantly, to remind them of the true gospel that he had preached. The main point or argument that Paul makes throughout this letter is this. We are saved, made right uh, with God by grace 
through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by our good deeds, not by our, our works, not by our moral efforts, efforts, nothing else but Christ alone. Now, as we've worked our way through this book over the last few weeks, uh, maybe some of you have noticed this repetitive theme that we have been going through. Uh, maybe you have felt like the last several weeks you've been hearing the same exact message. Um, and that's because you basically have been hearing the same message. Because that is exactly what's going on in the book of Galatians, okay? Uh, Paul says the same thing over and over and over again. Why is Paul uh, saying the same repetitive message? See, in advertising, there's this term that's called effective frequency. Effective frequency is, it's used to describe the number of times a consumer must be exposed to an advertising message before the marketer gets the desired response that they want, whether that's to the, uh, someone buying a product or it's something as simple as remembering a message. If it's important, say it over and over again. See, I'm in sales, and I've been using the importance of effective frequency and repetitive messages for 16 years. I say the same message, the same thing, over and over again, in slightly different ways, from different angles, right? Why? So that my customers can clearly understand and see how my product or my service meets their specific need. It's all about the customer understanding how you can meet their need. And see, Paul is doing the same thing here to the Galatians and also to us. He repeats over and over again with effective frequency in slightly different ways and from different angles. And he's saying, it is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that you will meet your greatest need, which is salvation. It is only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone that you will meet your greatest need of salvation. Paul knows how important this is. This is foundational stuff. What are we standing on? So he continues to repeat this message even as we look into Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 to 14 this morning. But again, he's going to come at it from a different angle. Verses 10 to 14 is, it's actually a continuation of thought from what we heard last week from our brother John Finley, especially in verses 6 to 9 of chapter 3. This is what uh, Paul basically does, right? In verses 6 to 9 of chapter 3, he holds up Abraham, right, who is the father of uh, the Jewish faith, a man who's so respected and revered. He holds him up, right, and he says, listen, Abraham was actually saved by grace through faith as well. Abraham wasn't saved by his righteousness. Abraham wasn't saved because he was good or because he was so moral. Abraham was saved by faith. And this message Paul is saying that I am repeating to you over and over and over again, it's not something new. I didn't come up with it. I didn't make it up. It's been testified throughout history. And Paul will continue this thought about Abraham when we get to verse 14. But in verses 10 through 13, he again builds this argument that Abraham was saved by faith, but he comes at it from a different angle. You know, Paul is like a master tactician, right? He is so amazing how he's able to build his arguments. 
What he's going to do is he's going to take the Mosaic law, right? The law that all of these um, false teachers hold so highly and say it's got to be Jesus plus the law. He's going to take the Mosaic law, right? And he's going to tell these false teachers with their false gospel who are saying to everybody, you must obey and keep the law to be right with God and have hope for salvation. And he's going to tell them that you're wrong. He's going to take away uh, uh, what they're standing on, the law, and show that the law itself says, the law itself says it can't save you. The law itself says it can't make you right. And your thought process and the foundation that you're standing on is false. Verse 10 and 11 show a stark contrast between the law and faith. And our first point today is this. Not keeping all of the law curses us. Not keeping all of the law curses us. Verse 10, this is the message that these false teachers uh, are saying in their their false gospel. They say it can't be just Jesus, right? You also have to keep the law, and that's how you earn your right standing with God. So if you look at verse 10 uh, from uh, Galatians chapter 3, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul is saying, and saying this to the Galatians, but he's also saying this to us today. If you think that your basis for salvation, how you're going to be right with God, right? By, if you're going to do that by keeping the law and doing good works, being a very moral person, being very charitable, right? If that's how you think that you're going to earn your right standing with God, well, then you're actually cursed. The result of living by the law is uh, living by the law is that we're under a curse. How is the law a curse? And Paul takes this directly from Deuteronomy 27, 26. So he is making his argument based on passages that these false teachers know very well. And so he takes it from Deuteronomy, right? And Paul is showing that the law itself says it's not enough to obey a few of the laws. You actually have to obey all 600-plus laws that are found in the five books of Moses, and they have to be obeyed, all of them. It's also not enough to keep the law for just one day. It's not enough to keep it for a month or for a year. You have to keep this law continuously, all the time, and all of them. Who can do that? Who can do that by keeping all of the law all the time? Listen, you lust one time, you've broken the law, right? You steal one pen from work, and you've broken the law. That's why the law is a curse, right? No one can completely keep it. The curse is that you're doomed. The curse is that you are devoted to destruction. And Paul says the law was never, it was never intended to bring us to salvation. The law was never intended to make us right with God. So if the law's intention and purpose is not to save us, then what is the law's purpose? Well, one thing we know about the law, the law is good, and the law is perfect, and the law reveals God's nature to us, that he's holy and that he's righteous. For us, the law shows that we are not like God. We are not holy and we are not righteous, and we can never keep all the laws all the time. The law is like a mirror, 
and it shows our sinfulness and reveals our need for salvation. Think about why we stand in front of a mirror. I've told this story just a few months ago, but I learned the importance of using a mirror the hard way. One morning, I was rushing to get out of my house to get to work and get to an appointment, and I hadn't realized that I had a big stain on my white shirt until I was making a presentation, and I realized that nobody in the room was paying attention to anything I said. They were all fixated on the stain on my white shirt, okay? It was a really wonderful moment for me, okay? But now, if I had looked at a mirror, it would have shown me my stain on my shirt. Mirrors are great for showing us stains. They're good for showing us blemishes. But what the mirror can't do is it can't wash the stain away. Right? It can't take the stain off of my shirt. Its only purpose is to show that it's not clean. So it is with the law. The law reveals sin in our life, but it's not a cleansing agent. It can't cleanse us from our sin, but it can show us our need to be cleansed. The Bible clearly says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. The law is meant to create this sense of need for help, a sense of need for a Savior. And we all need a Savior. See, many of us, we live life like there's these scales, and we're trying to have our good deeds outweigh our bad. And hopefully, our good deeds will be enough for God. Right? Enough to have a right standing with God. And what Paul is saying here, it says, please, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want you to be cursed. I want you to to be blessed. And so there's a better foundation for you to stand on. And so our second point today is this. Faith justifies us. Faith justifies us. Now in verse 11, Paul confidently destroys any argument that the law can save us. Once again, he takes this directly uh, from the Old Testament. And again, he's going to quote passages that these false prophets know very well. And he quotes it from the prophet um, Habakkuk, and it's in verse 11. It says this, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The word justified here is really important. It's a legal term. You justify someone when you declare them not guilty. You declare them innocent and righteous in the eyes of the law. In the Greek, to justify means to declare righteous. In uh, June of 2018, Pennsylvania enacted the Clean Slate Law. The law aims to help people with criminal records get their lives back on track. And what it does is it wipes out or seals records of people who've been found not guilty in court or those who have committed nonviolent crimes for over 10 years ago. And so what it says is if your record has been sealed, you can confidently say that, that you don't have a record, that your record has been wiped away. That's justification. And Paul is saying, look, if you're trying to keep the law, doing good works, relying on your morality, that will never justify you. It's never going to declare you righteous. It's never going to wipe your record of sin clean. For he says, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Another way to read that is that the, uh, the righteous or just by faith shall live. The righteous or just by faith shall live. Those who have been made righteous by faith, not by works, shall live and have eternal life. God has always justified people by faith and not by law. The big point here is that law-keeping is, uh, is trying to do good works to earn our salvation. It's all about focusing on us, right? It's all about doing and earning, so it's a very self-focused thing. But with faith, you actually have to turn away from yourself and turn to someone else. Turn to someone else who's going to be able to do for you what you can't do for yourself. You're going uh, to be made righteous by trusting in someone else. You can't do it yourself. As we move to verse 12, it says, But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Here Paul reiterates a point we've already spoken about. He quotes again and again and again from the Old Testament, this time from the book of Leviticus. Right? And what he's saying is this, The law calls for strict, complete, perfect obedience. And as we said before, no one's going to be able to keep that standard. Only Jesus can. And so that it brings on a curse. Right? The law and faith are so different. The law says, do and you will live. And faith says, believe and you will live. A person under the law does not live by faith. So therefore, we know, is not justified by God. Which leads us to our third and most beautiful point. Christ redeems us, and he blesses us. Christ redeems us, and he blesses us. Church, Paul was systematically breaking down this argument. Listen, the law can't save you, it can't justify you, and only faith can justify you. So who do we put our faith in? And so as we go to verse 13, it says, Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Verse 13 is one of the most beautiful verses. It sums up all of the Christian message. Why do you put your faith in Christ? Why do you put your faith in Christ? Because it says Christ redeemed us. The word redeemed there means to buy something back. It means to, uh, to deliver by paying the price for something. And Paul is saying here, Christ purchased us. The curse of the law is death. That's the penalty of the law. Christ redeemed us. He purchased us from that curse of the law. And how did, how did Christ do this? It says, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is, who is hanged on a tree. Church, this should be the sweetest melody to our ears. Jesus Christ, the one who was holy and righteous, the one who knew no sin, who was never cursed, voluntarily took our curse of death upon himself in order to deliver us from, the, from ultimate death. There is nothing that's more amazing than that. Why does, what does Paul mean that when he's saying, listen, cursed is everyone that's hanged on a tree, and it simply means this. On that wooden cross, Jesus experienced the, the curse of divine rejection. On the cross, he freed us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by actually taking that curse for us. Verse 13 details 
what is the most beautiful exchange. We spent time talking about the curse that we are under. And Jesus purchased us. He redeemed us and brought us out of that curse by actually becoming a curse. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was treated as if he were a sinner, but we were the ones who did the sin. As he was as responsible for, for all our sins, which we were the ones that committed that. Here's the great exchange, church. When Christ took our sins upon himself, he was cursed, not for his own sins, but for ours. So on the cross, he took our sins and the punishment of death that comes with it and willingly exchanged his holiness and righteousness to us. What happened on the cross is that what was ours, our sin, it became Christ. And what was Christ, his, became ours, holiness and righteousness. Why would Jesus ever be willing to do such a thing for us? Right? Christ's sacrifice should, and his substitution should move us deeply. Church, think about this. Every evil thought of ours, every lustful thought of ours, every lie, anything that we've stolen, every adulterous relationship, every selfish action uh, and word from us in this room and from throughout all history, was placed upon Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God towards sin was placed upon Jesus on the cross. And as he took our sin, if we put our faith in Christ, we receive in exchange forgiveness, and we receive his holiness, and we receive his righteousness. In exchange for our sin, he took it. We get holiness and we become righteous before God. That's how we know if we're right with God, if we're in Christ. See, when we put our faith in Christ, we actually have a new position, a new status that's in Christ. In Christ, we are righteous and holy, not because we are always righteous and holy, but because of that beautiful exchange on the cross. Listen, sometimes this concept is really hard to believe. How can God see us as holy and righteous if we many times still struggle with sin? We struggle with the concept because we are thinking, for, uh, we are thinking about that from a works-based and law-based perspective, right? We still think, uh, I, we have to somehow own uh, our own righteousness. Being in Christ, church, is like being in an airplane, Right? When you're in an airplane, when you take your seat in an airplane, when that plane takes off, you take off. When that plane is 3,000 feet in the air, you and I are 3,000 feet in the air. When that plane feels turbulence and goes through turbulence, we feel the turbulence. Everything that that plane does, you do. But we're not a plane. The same goes with being in Christ. Christ is righteous. So when we are in Christ... We are also righteous. Christ is holy. So when we are in Christ, we are also holy. Christ is the Son of God. And in Christ, we are the children of God through faith. But we're not God. 
Apart from Christ, we have no right standing. But in Christ, we do. This is the beautiful exchange. We are no longer cursed, but we're blessed. No longer guilty, but innocent. No longer a sinner, but righteous before God. Not because of anything that we've done, but based solely on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This position, church, is not something we earned, nor is it something we have to maintain. It was given as a gift, and it is maintained for eternity, secured for eternity in Christ alone. Listen, church, Christ redeemed us. And in verse 14, it says, so. Christ redeemed us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I want to read that verse again. And where it says Gentiles, just insert your name. Put your name where it says Gentiles. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to you, might come to me, might come to us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. God promised to bless Abraham and all the world through him. The blessing of Abraham is what Paul has been repeating all along in this book. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Our sin and the penalty of death was in the way of that blessing flowing to all the world. But the love of Christ is so wonderful, he was crucified to remove that curse. So now all who have put their faith in Christ may receive this blessing of Abraham and receive the Holy Spirit with all his gifts and graces. Church, Paul clearly, arguments, uh, clearly argues his point over these four verses. You cannot put your trust in keeping of the law, in, in your own works and your own morality to earn salvation. You can't uh, earn your way to a right standing with God. It's not going to work. Paul's message is so clear. His repetitive message with effective frequency is loud and clear. How are you saved? How do you know if you have a right standing with God? It is through faith in, in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing, church. Jesus plus nothing. Listen, if you're here this morning and you know that you clearly have not put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, then I would humbly ask that you take this time to get right with God. Jesus gave up his life for your sins, for your freedom. Jesus truly loves you. The word of God says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have questions about and would like to know more about Jesus, then please talk to me, talk to one of our pastors, talk to any member in this church. We would love to answer your questions. Now, I know that many of us in this room, we would say that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. That theologically, I think many of us would say amen to the truth that it is by faith alone that, uh, that we are justified. Faith alone in Jesus that we are justified and made right with God. I think many of us would say amen to that. But the question for all of us is, 
Are we actually practically living out the reality that Christ has purchased us and that in Christ we are holy and righteous? Do we practically live it? Listen, I have been um, struggling with this for a long time, and I've even shared at the members' meeting of some of the things that I've been going through. If I am honest, theologically, I do say amen to Christ alone saves us, that there's nothing I can do. I raise my hand and I say amen to that. But practically, practically many times, I find myself still trying to earn my standing with God. I feel like I have to maintain this standing with God. Okay, this is how it goes for me, okay? If I miss a week of prayer or reading the word, all of a sudden, the guilt starts to set in. And all, all I start thinking about is, man, God is so mad at me, right? So I'm not going to pray because I'm afraid and I'm guilty, right? Um, and I, th- I think to myself, I got to do better. Justin, you got to do better. You got to make God happy with you again, right? Because he might punish me. So I'm still going to try to earn his love. And I'm going to earn it by reading the Bible more, praying more, serving more, preaching more, doing whatever I got to do to maintain my relationship with God. Practically, my faith sometimes is in myself and in my work. And maybe you're there as well. Our struggle with trying to maintain a right standing with God, church, it's like the difference between a U.S. citizen and a green card holder. Okay, a U.S. citizen doesn't have to do anything to maintain being a citizen, right? Once you're a citizen, you're always a citizen. Now, I know some of you might be like immigration lawyers, so there might be some slight, you know, crazy thing that, you know, you have to, you know, do that I don't know. But in reality, for the majority of us, right, think about it. What do we do every day or even every year to maintain our citizenship? We don't do anything. We just live. We go to work, right? Like, pay our taxes. Even if we commit a crime, we don't lose our citizenship. Now, we'll, pace, we'll uh, face consequences. We might have to go to jail. We might have to pay a fine. But if you commit a crime, you're, still, you're not going to lose your citizenship. But if you're a green card holder, right, you're not a U.S. citizen. You're here because uh, you're here for work or family purpose. And you have rights, but you're not a citizen. And there are many, many things every single year that a green card holder must do to keep their status, right? If a green card holder commits a crime, they could lose their status or they might even have to get deported. As a believer who puts our faith in Christ, church, we are not green card holders. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. Our citizenship has been brought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So church, let's let go of this burden to maintain our salvation. And let's live in confidence and in faith and in freedom in Christ. Let's start to obey God, not out of a motivation to earn something, right? And to maintain something. That's what a lot of times I find myself doing. I obey God, because I still want to earn, and I still want to maintain and keep God happy. But let's do what John 14, 15 says. If you love me, obey my commandments. 
right? Let our motivation be out of love and gratefulness and thankfulness is what is our motivation to obey God. I want you to hear this from what uh, this Welsh uh, expositor and theologian, Sindelin Jones, said about the Galatians. He said this, The Galatians imagine that Christ only half purchased them, that they had to purchase the rest by their submission uh, to circumcision uh, and to other Jewish rites and ceremonies. Hence their readiness to be led away by false teachers and to mix up Christianity and Judaism. Christ has wholly purchased us from the curse of the law. Church, this is so important that we fully believe and live in the truth that Christ completely, wholly purchased us. He redeemed us and saved us and that we have no work in that salvation. The law is doing, faith is believing. But if we don't and we feel uh, and live like we have to earn then we will be easily led away by false teachers and false gospel. So we have to be very careful. What makes Christ alone, Jesus plus nothing, hard for us to believe and actually live out practically? Like, what makes that hard? And there's probably many things, but I just want to talk about two. First one is culture. The culture that we live in. Everything in our culture is about what we earn from school to work or sports, everything is we do, we work, and we earn our place. We feel somewhat in control, and we love to be in control. The world is the opposite of salvation in Christ. Let's not let the world deceive us. Salvation is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. What else makes us doubt this? And one of the big things is also is Satan. Listen, Satan is the accuser of the believers. And he wants nothing more than for us as believers to doubt our salvation. Satan wants us to believe that God is angry with us and that God is disappointed in you, right? Uh, uh, Satan wants us to believe that we are not living up to this standard, that we're truly not the children of God. And how does that flesh out in, in that uh, Satan's accusation? How does that practically live out in our life? You know what that looks like? That looks like anxiety and fear that cripples us. It looks like when we uh, don't go to God in prayer because we feel ashamed or we feel scared. It's, it's like when we stop fellowshipping with the saints and try to live in isolation. Let's not be deceived by Satan. Let's be encouraged by our security in Christ. John 6.37 says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I shall by no means cast out. And him who comes to me I shall by no means cast out. Church, as we close this morning, the reality is this. There is nothing that we can do to make God love and accept us any more than he already does. And there's nothing that we can do to make God love or accept us any less than he already does. There is nothing that we can do to make God love and accept us any more than he already does. And there is nothing that we can do to make God love us less than he already does. 
God loves us perfectly and sufficiently in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Listen, church, we have been talking about this same message for weeks. The same thing said in different ways. And before we take communion, I just want us to take a few moments, just individually between us and God, and, and really work this out, that we really believe, we really believe that Christ died and that he exchanged our sins for his righteousness, our sins for his holiness, that we actually can practically live this out, that we have to, don't have to do the work of constantly thinking, i got to maintain this thing. He gave it to us, and he's sustaining us so that we can live out and live our life for God to be the salt and the light of this world. And so let's just work through a, a few prayer movements, and we'll just do that right in our seat individually between us and the Lord. The first prayer movement is this. Let's confess before God areas in our life that we are still trying to control and not give completely to God. Areas where we just don't believe that Jesus Christ is enough. I'll say that again. Let's confess before God areas in our life that we are still trying to control and not give completely over to God. Areas where we, are, where we just don't believe that Christ is enough. Let's, take, let's just take a few moments and let's uh, pray to the Lord. Let's ask God for strength that our motivation would change. That our motivation for obedience would go from, from trying to earn and trying to maintain to a motivation out of obedience because we love God. Christ loved us first. That's how we can love him. So let's ask God to help us to change our motivation from earning and maintaining to a motivation of obedience in love and gratefulness and thankfulness to him. Let's pray. Lastly, let's just take a moment to worship and praise Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's praise Jesus who redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham has come to us. Take a moment to worship and praise Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. 
Let's praise Jesus who has redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham has come to us. Father, we give you all the praise and glory and honor. Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners and sinners in need of a Savior. Thank you for loving us and dying for us while we were still sinners. Thank you for redeeming us from the curse of the law. I pray that you would help us in our unbelief, Lord. Encourage us and uplift us. Help us to live out the truth of the gospel. To go out of here this morning encouraged knowing that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.